0: Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast, brought to you by Scoop News Group. Why one nonprofit wants governments to use AI more responsibly. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. A nonprofit research organization is asking the Federal Trade Commission to force governments and their vendors to use AI more responsibly. The Electronic Privacy Information Center, or EPIC, said in a recent complaint to the FTC that government agency use of Thomson Reuters fraud Detect is in violation of several federal rules. Grant Ferguson is the author of The Complaint and an Equal Justice Works Fellow at Epic. He tells State Scoop's Kelly Quinlan about how and why he filed the complaint.
1: I'll start by saying that this took three years in part because it was so hard to find this information. Um, Epic as an organization has a history of filing open records requests for government misuse of technology. We're a privacy and technology advocacy organization. So we do a lot of research and investigation into all sorts of different things. And this started out as just another one of those where we had heard a bit about how the DC government uh, was using different automated technologies for a whole bunch of different things. So we started submitting open records requests under state freedom of information laws. And one that popped up was this system called Fraudcaster by this company called Pondera. And we started this back in 2021. Um, We had kind of just initially been working on this after reading a book by the author of Virginia Eubanks called Automating Inequality, which went into really great detail of all the different ways that states were using AI to really kind of screw up public benefits programs. the more that we looked into the records we received from these open records requests, and I'm sure I'm, I'm speaking to the choir, these can take months to actually resolve uh, and you have to push back and you have to be kind of aggressive with agencies sometimes. Um, but we started to trickle, get a trickle of information back about the system from both DC and a few other states that we um, sent similar records requests to. And we found some concerning things. Um, Concerning both because the information we found suggested that they were using data and analytics that didn't make sense for fraud detection, things like social media profiles, things like how far you were traveling for groceries, you know, all kind of like random assortments of information. Um, And also concerning because there was information that we weren't receiving from the government. These are things that were deemed proprietary and confidential, so they were redacted sometimes they would say that they didn't have the information, that the government never received this information from the vendor. Uh, and so we started to look into a private company in part because we were looking into the government and the government was contracting with the private company. And this kind of blossomed into this multi-year investigation into what all of these private companies were doing at the core of some like state level public benefits programs. You know, these are the, the like, linchpin of the social safety net and a lot of private companies were just making the decisions for state governments. Uh, And so we started with the open records request and then we started looking more and more into what these uh, companies were. We found out that Ponder was acquired by Thomson Voiders which is a massive, I mean, everyone knows it. It's a massive conglomerate that uh, kind of has uh, arms touching so many different types of our information ecosystem. It's a massive data broker. It's collecting a bunch of information from a bunch of different sources. Um, and we found that it was roping in this fraud detection software into its whole information ecosystem. Uh, so we started looking more directly into it. Um, the work that I did over the past year was more specifically around the contracts themselves. How are these companies getting into government services and finding that they were able to get a bunch of money from governments without providing a lot of information. So. This whole investigation was uh, trying in our position as a you know third party civil society organization to get as much information as we can from state governments, from impacted individuals, from news stories, really getting as holistic an approach as possible to understand what was happening and throwing it into this complaint. Um, we, don't have all the information. And I, I think you'll find when you read the complaint fully, if you haven't already, uh, that there are some parts where we say, hey, we don't have this information. They're not being transparent. We assume because of information we know generally about these systems, that this has a flaw, but there are some issues here because of the data that they're using or because of the claims that they're making. Um, but so much of the information that we got was from pushing back on these open records requests and then looking at what journalists like you had already been covering over the past few years and kind of placing them in together like puzzle pieces.
2: And I know that was probably laborious to get through all of that. Those contracts are like what? Sometimes hundreds. Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, often written by the companies themselves, not yeah. easy to follow, and I'm a lawyer, you know, I should be able to read these contracts and it was so difficult.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, but kind of going back to what you were saying central to y'all's complaint with the FTC, um, was the misuse almost of this personal data, like you said, um, what impact does it have, or could you speak a little bit more to the impact that it has on an individual when this kind of, you know, personal data, such as like how, um, many miles they traveled to the grocery store or, um, their you know credit file and that kind of information what does that do to somebody who's trying to apply to to get public benefits
1: (laughs) yeah it's a good question and i think there are two main issues that people who are applying and receiving public benefits have to grapple with when they're faced with a lot of these ai systems and i'll caveat this by saying that fraud detect isn't the only one out there there are dozens of different systems looking in in various ways within public benefits programs. So it's often unavoidable uh, to be kind of processed through these systems um, and you won't get that information. So the two issues that I often see stem from the risk of errors and bias, and then the risk of what I'll call opacity or public benefits recipients not knowing what's going on. So on the first end, when we think about AI systems, the two kind of main problems that we often see, regardless of how they're being applied, are issues around the sorts of data that they're being used and how that data is being applied to a certain individual. If the data is incomplete, or if it reflects historical biases, for example, uh, zip codes tend to reflect historical redlining practices in segregated neighborhoods, uh, which can often suggests a kind of racial disparity, even if it's just a zip code. Um, When you input a lot of this data into an AI system without understanding what that data means, understanding how accurate it is, without doing any sort of testing or monitoring around what that data quality looks like, um, a lot of the issues we see in that data, errors and biases, become the outputs of the AI system. So. If you are collecting any information about someone you can find online and creating a dossier that you're going to then use for determining whether someone is being fraudulent for a public benefits application, a lot of that data is going to be inaccurate. I mean, if you search yourself on Google, like half the time, it's going to be someone else. There's going to be random addresses. There's going to be random news articles about someone else who shows your name. Um, It's very difficult for a company like Thompson Reuters, who is doing millions and millions of you know, data processing a day, collecting so many data points um, to ensure that all of the data is accurate. And so you get to a point where you have all of this data and we know this from Thomson Reuters. It has a, a database called Clear, a platform called Clear that collects a bunch of data from several different sources, tons of commercial sources. They buy and sell this data and they integrate that into Fraud Detect. So you have the system that is taking in your application looking what, what about what information that you have provided, comparing it to all of this information that may or may not be true, may or may not reflect some you know, biases in the data, and then generating some sort of output saying, hey, you're being fraudulent. You know, if someone has a similar name to you and they have a criminal record or they have uh, a different address that isn't on your application, that could be a flag for fraud. On the flip side, if you, don't provide all the information in an application. Maybe you, you know, leave something blank. Some systems may think of that as fraud and will flag you in and of itself. And because you don't know that that's going on, you know, if you're applying to public benefits, it's very rare for a state agency to tell you, hey, we're gonna put your application through this system and this is how it's gonna work and this is why it's going to give this certain output. These are your, you know, options after that. They're never given that information. So. They're submitting these applications, they're getting denied, they don't know why. And often it's because this system is generating a risk score, a fraud alert, based off of information that could be totally untrue. Now, sometimes that is easily fixed, right? You know, you'll have someone at a state agency who understands how the system is working, they'll go in after the fact, they'll make sure that things are accurate. a uh, person receiving benefits who knows what their rights are, who maybe is consulting with an organization uh, to help them out, might be able to appeal the decision. Most times that's not true, which means someone can apply for benefits. Someone who is receiving benefits can provide more you know, documentation to keep that, uh, the benefits rolling. They will be rejected for some reason they don't understand, that they are being claimed, that, that they're getting a fraud alert, and often what happens is that their benefits are immediately cut off. They have to figure out what's happening. Oftentimes that takes time, money, effort that they don't have. And so they have to go through months, sometimes years-long processes to try to get their benefits back. But at the same time, like these are people who need government assistance. They're facing huge economic hurdles. They're having to deal with all of this on top of that. It's it's putting people in a really tough position uh, without a lot of recourse. So part of why we wanted to go to the FTC is because we see this happening across the country. And Thomson Reuters is a massive company that is taking millions of dollars to generate these faulty fraud alerts that are forcing people to face poverty, you know, front and center. It's it's disturbing to see how often it is wrong and how often state agencies rely on that blindly to reject benefits, but also to sometimes claw back money they've already given people. So there's a, a huge sub-issue here around overpayments where someone will be flagged as fraudulent and then the state agency will say, hey, give us the money you get, we already gave you back. Now those are thousands of dollars that these people don't have. They'll have to take out loans, they'll have to work with, you know, predatory loan sharks to try to pencil this money together and, and send it off. So it's a it's a whole bundle of issues um, that I definitely threw all at you at once.
2: I think a complaint such as this that kind of illustrates the potential, you know, negative that could happen with AI um, is is really important for us to consider. Um, So what do you think, in your opinion, are some of the like top line takeaways that like state administrators should potentially, you know, heed as a warning before, um, you know, going through and implementing an entirely like new system. Sure. AI.
1: (laughs) I'd say first and foremost, don't take AI companies words at face value. There's been a lot of great work at the state and federal level to set down guardrails, as you just said and start with those and understand that you, as a state administrator, know better how these systems should operate than the vendors who are providing these AI systems. And the, the second one I would always say is, be careful about how the data that you are providing these vendors is being used. Always go back to what the, uh, what the audience, you, how do I say this? As a state administrator, your goal should be to improve the services that you provide to residents of your state. Always consider what those residents are going through. Make that process easier for them and the whole system will become better as a result. A lot of these AI systems are taking control away from state agencies without giving them the amount of knowledge and oversight they need to make sure that things are are happening responsibly. Um, so know that you have the knowledge and the expertise you need to do this properly. Don't be swayed by fancy AI snake oil or fantastical claims about what an AI system can do. We're not there yet. We won't be for years.
0: Grant Ferguson, Equal Justice Works Fellow at the Electronic Privacy Information Center. You can read more about him and responsible AI use at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes you can subscribe to the priorities podcast at prioritiespodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts while you're there be sure to leave a review or a rating on the podcast page that small extra step helps more people like you find the show this podcast is a production of scoop news group in washington dc adam butler and carlin fisher help put it together and the entire scoop news Group team contributes until next week i'm jake williams thanks for listening